<laughs> All right. <laughs> we are back. Episode two. Um, yeah, my. So, um, yeah, we had the first one. We're here for number two. And I think, you know, uh, unfortunately, we lost the, the original, original first one, but I'll just be in the, in the so. memory books. Um, yeah, lots been going on. I mean, I, I just, I was in Colombia for the Producer Barossa Forum. Uh, yeah, how was it? Man, it's great. And honestly, it's what the industry needs. I, I think I say this to everybody that um, conversations in our countries with producers present are so critical. And, um, you know, my favorite part is we, we're the main sponsor, but we also, we pay for 500 producers to attend and we support them with some costs as well. Because even, look, wow. if you do... If you do an event, even in our countries, in Medellin or Guatemala City or San Salvador, like you still have to have to get there, right? Whether they take a bus or they, whatever it is in the yes. hotels, even that's not that, uh, you know, accessible for them. So, and one of the favorite things for me is also, I do a talk and usually it's just a, like a, to the general audience, but we do kind of a town hall meeting with producers. And frankly, I learned so much and it's so valuable to me and it's i think valuable to should be valuable to the industry because you hear from producers firsthand and i'm not talking the producers that drove up in their you know range rover or you know the the investor producers or the the ones who inherited in the state i'm talking about the poor producers uh who are really at the point of potential extinction right now which is a big concern for me um and it's frustrating, you know, they, they talk so much about how specialty processes are going to really, you know, get them out of poverty. And I said, look, raise your hand if you're growing geisha. Ooh. And I say 60% of them raise their hand. So we got a, a lot. So a lot of the people who are listening to this may not be coffee people. So just break down for the people. What is geisha? What you talking about? Like they grow in some town in Asia, what you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's a, it's a varietal that came from Ethiopia that was brought over to Panama. Uh, it's got a very distinct kind of floral, uh, really like fine cup. I mean, it's a quality coffee. Um, and maybe I would say it was a quality coffee, in my opinion, because to me, it's been watered down and kind of, you know, butchered a little bit because the original varieties brought over into Panama where it grows beautifully. I mean, the cup is amazing. And this is coffee that costs 50, 60 bucks a pound. Right, very expensive, you know. So to buy the the seedling, to nurture it, to give it the right fertilizer, it, it takes a lot of input, a lot of investment, um, and it's a really nice cup of coffee. I mean, it's you know, I don't think any coffee is worth what people are paying for it. I think there's a cap on you know the value of things, and I think we've exceeded that on Geisha. But I think what's happened is when people started seeing, well, I can grow this coffee and make you know get paid twenty bucks a pound. Yeah, um, everybody started planning it. And so my point mm -hmm. to these producers was we have to be careful because we think that there's this market for all these very special coffees that are so expensive. And at the end of the day, if you're all growing it, if 60% of you have it, is it really that special? Mm -hmm. uh, and frankly, a lot of the promises made by the small roasters aren't really followed through on. But anyway, back to the event. It was a great event. I like that. <laughs> that we sit with the producers. It's a good time for me to kind of get a pulse on what smaller, more remote producers are hearing and thinking. And frankly, it makes me sad. I mean, I actually, uh, last year with Eduardo, like, 
he saw me get a little emotional. He almost got emotional and like, cause that's the thing, you know, these are the, this is the reason why I do what I do and what I've done, what I've done for 25 years. And there's nothing more infuriating to me to see people have hope and not have a venue by which they can turn that hope into action and betterment for their future. And I think we as an industry owe them a lot more than we're giving them. And if anything, we can't give them false hope, which I think has been happening a lot. Man, uh, well, that's, that's actually a perfect transition to talk about what I wanted to talk to you today about, which is like, what is owed to producers and why the perspective of like people from origin, right? people from the motherlands where coffee grows, why that pers I call them single origin people, right? Like, why is that perspective so important? Um, and why is it necessary to exceed a lot of the hollow promises that our industry makes? One of which uh, in the coffee industry that everybody knows about is fair trade, right? And I think that, you know, I was telling you we're at, we were at a conference uh, with the Partnership for Southern Equity, uh, ton of amazing black folks flew in from, you know, all over the U.S. to Memphis where we're based and we're, you know, serving coffee. We screened our documentary. We're going to do a community cupping at the at our hood coffee shop called the Anti-Gentrification Coffee Club. But yesterday was the first day and a bunch of people walked up and I remember having a conversation with a guy. Most folks, there's not much knowledge about the coffee industry per se. People just kind of know what they heard at Whole Foods. And so, you know, we're talking about the work we do and much like you're doing with the Producer Roaster Forum, we're doing something called a Black Barista Exchange Program, where it's like, we feel like what is happening with the standard quo is in the industry is not enough to address the inequity we've seen for our people. And so we created our own thing, right? Called the Barista Exchange Program. We're bringing four African baristas to Ethiopia, Rwanda. They're gonna learn about pre-colonial coffee culture. We're gonna bring four uh, continental Africans in coffee here to the US, to the hood in Memphis to have a Pan-African conversation about the potential for coffee and Black futures. And we'll check out some other shops and just ideate about what our communities can do to like bring our own cultures to the forefront of like what we do in this industry instead of just copy and pasting what we see in Italy or France or Australia or whatever is happening in the U.S. Um, in these hipstery shops. And so it's important and it costs a lot of money. I'm raising money right now. We've raised about 20,000. I got to raise another 40,000 and I'm doing this on my own. And when I don't raise the money, I pay for it myself. Uh, and we're a small business and this is more, this is a, we're not, not making money off of this. I'm doing this because I think it's the right thing to do. Um, I'm sure y'all don't make money off the producer. In fact, you're sponsoring the producer roaster forum. Yeah, I'm going to an event to support them who, you yeah, know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to the Good Coffee Fest uh, in Nashville next week. And that's another thing y'all sponsor. Uh, and uh, with the work y'all are doing, uh, what's the name of the shop again? Out of Nashville? Humphrey Street. Humphrey Street. Yeah, I was about to say yeah. Fulton Street, but that's a different thing. But yeah, like these are the things that people don't see. That when you're a person of color in coffee and you, the, the burden we feel, and it's not just coffee in any industry, the, the the responsibility we feel towards our communities has been impressed upon us since birth that we have to make our communities better, right? And if we have resources, it's not just us, it's a communal responsibility. But that's that's kind of invisible in the industry. The industry doesn't see that, the public doesn't see that. So even in the midst of all this work we're doing, guys are coming to me and asking me, yeah, but are you fair trade though? <laughs> I'm like, a fair trade wishes it was doing what, what we do. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way anybody who does fair trade will spend the amount of money we spend for free on our communities um, because there's no incentive for them, 
right? They're trying to do the bare minimum with a certification. But I would love for you, like, that's my opinion as like kind of an outsider looking in, a, kind of an outsider to the industry. You've been in coffee 20 years. Like, what's your perspective on these kinds of certifications? And are they good? Are they bad? Maybe I'm being too critical. Um, but I was just kind of annoyed in the conversation, not with the guy. He didn't know any better, but I was like, this certification carries more weight than the $150,000 plus I poured back into African and African-American communities in coffee with no money given back to me. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's weird yeah. to me that that's what people look at as value. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot there. I mean, look, first of all, I've always said that the inequities in our industry will not be really addressed on the, until people that look like producers are in the market running, you know, the closest to the consumer side of the market. Right. Uh, yeah. I feel like I've been very good at what I do because of that, because I went back to Nicaragua when I was in college and really saw the place where I grew up be worse off than it was when I was there during a revolution. Um, and I think we have that innate thing and we should all have it. Not everybody does, but you want to do for your people, right? You don't want to be the person that leaves. You know, I left the revolution. Not everybody got to leave. You know, survivor's guilt. Yeah, I have a, a extreme survivor's guilt, but you know, I, 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 I tap into that, into to doing good. And frankly, I don't know if our industry really will ever make the change until we see more people like us in the industry. And I just think that's yeah. a point blank human condition, you know, human reality, um, because everything else to me is kind of um, theatrics um, yeah. and, and spoon feeding a quick little soundbite solution quotes to a massive, massive, massive problem is virtually human right? problem. Yeah. I mean, that's, and, and look, I, I've made a new, uh, I've made a new uh, resolution in the fact that I'm not going to ever kind of shit talk anybody who's trying to do good. For sure. Yeah. No, I think that's dope. Malcolm X said something similar. I found yeah, myself Malcolm doing X. that. Mm-hmm. I was saying Malcolm X said something similar where he was asked about like, is there anything he regretted? And he said that there was this young white lady who came up to him at one point when he was early in his career and asked him, is there anything I can do? And he was like, no, there's nothing you can do. You're censored. You're like, whiteness is a part of the issue that just basically go tell your grandparents not to be racist and move on. And um, like uh, he said, he actually really regretted that because he that girl, he just felt like she was really sincere and he missed an opportunity to help someone make the world a better place. And I can relate to what you're saying, because sometimes it's just like you get frustrated, like even for us, like we're we're doing this work, we're raising money for the Black Grease Exchange program. And then you look at like, oh, there's another grinder and the GoFundMe for this. If you don't know about coffee, coffee people love new grinders. I don't know why. Millions of dollars in, in Kickstarter for new grinders. It's yeah. another grinder, and people have just dumped all this money into it, and we're doing a revolutionary program to reclaim like pre-colonial coffee culture for people of African descent. And you know, we've raised fourteen thousand dollars plus five thousand dollars of our own money from a dinner we did. So it's like, yo, that's kind of crazy. But it, so it can make you frustrated. But to your point. That doesn't help anybody when you're being frustrated with people who actually want to help be a part of the solution. Yeah. And I think part of my frustration has been also, there's been a lack of accountability, self-accountability in this industry where people aren't taking the time to learn the realities. 
Look, you mentioned your, I've spent millions of dollars and 20 some years learning Jeez. the realities of the coffee industry. You're right. You know, yeah. it, when I started this thing, I moved to Nicaragua. I actually, uh, I was sleeping in a cigar farm, uh, cigar factory because I was in the cigar business and I just went down there and I spent the better part of the development of the business years with me really trying to understand the supply chain. So when people ask you a question that they just want a yes or no to based on a sticker they saw, it's frustrating. Now, that being said, I do think that there's not a one-stop solution for the coffee industry issues, right? So there yeah, is sure. a need. I, I respect fair trade a lot. I really think that what they're doing, I think what's happened is that the, the minimal education consumers have gotten about it has weaponized it to then just point it at everybody and say, are you fair trade or are you not? And it's fair trade to them is good and anything else is bad. So um, what is fair trade? Like break it. Like I'm an industry outsider. I'm a rapper turned teacher. Uh, and my daddy is a pastor. So like, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not an industry person. I do have a pretty dope palette, but I'm, I didn't come up in like coffee trade shows. So break down like for people who don't know people like me, what is fair trade? I mean, it's ultimately, it's a nonprofit that owns a, a mark, a brand, right? Fair trade. Look, one of the, I looked at joining them and one of the reasons I didn't is because they really don't have a way to police the mark, which is a very important aspect of owning a trademark. The word fair trade separately, anyone can use. The words fair trade together are the trademark. So that's just a little kind of detailed thing that is actually mm. very important because a lot of people use the word fair trade as a concept. Fair trade is a mark, which is basically a brand. And if you operate within that system, you're working with Fair Trade USA or um, Fair Trade America. And basically you're saying, okay, I will buy under your program that uh, basically guarantees that the producer gets X premium, but then I have to pay a fee to Fair Trade. And then the producer pays a fee to Fair Trade. And Fair What's Trade's, the premium? Uh, there's a, it's, a, it's a minimum. So I know that lately, the last I checked, it was like 205, I think. Uh, for organic. I only think organic and, and buy organic. So that's my world. I know before the market ran in the pandemic, it was a buck 90. So basically that seems so low though. Well, you have to be careful about that because to then fair trade then is a price standard that is set on all coffee. So, so it's a price. Okay. is going to have to pay commercial so this is where and specialty. Yeah. Exactly. So we can't, we can't look at, here's my biggest frustration with coffee. The coffee industry is very vast, right? Commercial For is sure. 95% of it. Yeah. You know, specialty on a, on, a, on a kind of national scale is probably the other 4%. And then specialty, specialty, which has taken the word special, not even, right? So you cannot yeah. just do a magic pill for all of it. I agree mm -hmm. that fair trade does a great job in the commercial side and it's a needed job. Could the could the mm. price minimum be higher? Yes. Could they give the producers more freedom on how to allocate their funds? Yes. Could it be cheaper to operate as a as a roaster? Yes. But mm. I think that there's a place for them. Now, my issue is when someone looks at somebody like me and says, "Why are you not fair trade?" Uh, I said, "Well, I've spent twenty some years in the original development of my supply chain." to basically give supply, uh, producers what they need, not only in price, but also in support and in relationships and in commitment and in, you know, contracts and aligning with banks. And 
and so that impact is much higher than a dollar ninety, uh, and maybe yeah, two, and that's right? the so, that was the thing for me was like I was like the amount of money we put, you know, for us on top of the, I don't know, like four eighty four sixty five that we pay per pound to the community in Guji we buy from. On top of that, we send five percent of our sales back to that farm. You know what I mean? So it's like that's infinitely scalable <laughs> for us to do impact. And on top of that, we do a lot of other work behind the scenes. So it's like, why, why would you, why, why would you ask me to be fair trade when we do way more than what fair trade does? You know what I mean? For yeah, the minimum. but you also have to ask yourself, can we ask consumers to really have the bandwidth and time? For sure, for sure. To for hear sure, for that sure. backstory, you know, because I, I deal with that too. And I get frustrated because look, I don't think anybody in the industry does more than what we do. Um, the commitment we made, the, 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 not only the price paid, but just the commitments of, of, you know, multi-year relationships and prop diversity. Yeah. I mean, everything we've done, but when we get dismissed because we don't have a sticker or a mark on our bag, it's frustrating, but look, it's part yeah. of the world, right? And part of the, the industry that pretends to help people has also created of vehicles to create, you know, very nice sounding solutions for a problem that is super complex. And frankly, mm -hmm. is much more complex than prices. It's about access to capital, access to market, not being tied into only one exporter mill that makes you buy their fertilizer and buy it at a massive premium. I mean, there's so mm -hmm. much more. But the problem yeah. is we can't put that on the consumer. You know, for me, for I sure. kind of fought that by saying, look, all I can do is offer great quality at a great price. And when people ask, we give them the answers of what we do. Let's put transparency on our website. Let's talk about our producers. Let's talk about the issue. And the problem is, unfortunately, consumers have way too many things being thrown at them and they can't become experts at what we do. And unfortunately, I think others that are not as you know, have different values than we do, take advantage of that, right? Yeah, it bothers me. You know, like, just to be honest, and again, I'm younger in the game, right? Like, we've been in this four or five years. Um, but it bothers me when, you know, I've, I've put my whole family, to be honest, on the line. We've sold cars. And, like, you know what I mean? To be able to make this impact and build these relationships and, and make sure we're sending money back home and to make sure we're supporting like anti-gentrification work in our community where we roast our coffee and like, you know, for us to literally have put our, our whole family to put their life on the line. And then somebody looks at some people who pay money to have a sticker and basically ask me why I'm not doing what they're doing. It makes me upset. And it, again, it doesn't make me upset with the consumer. It makes me upset with the narrative that I feel like is being taken from me by an industry that is built on a seed that was taken from my motherland with the labor of my ancestors. You know what I mean? Like that, that makes me mad. Like that, I can't even own the work I'm doing to help fix the problem because the industry owns that too. You know, and it's, it's, it, it just, I don't know. Again, it's this, I think the name of our podcast is unfiltered ground. So I'm just being raw here, you know, but I'm just like, I, I'm, I really want to know your thoughts on that because you probably hear people in my neighborhood racing. Uh, but, but yeah, I really want to know your thoughts here because I'm like, man, you have so much more experience. And I also think for the listeners, it's valuable to hear how you kind of work through this in your own life. Cause I'm sure you felt the same way, you know? 
Man, I feel the same way. I, I know that if people really took the time to understand what we do and how much we've put into this and to like you, I mean, I've put everything on the line and, you know, from family to friendships that have been come and gone because I'm so focused on this. Yeah. Um, it's extremely frustrating, but here's a challenge that I would put in front of us and the, the reality of being a business owner, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, the world doesn't work how you want it to work. Markets don't work how you want them to work. And we cannot, and, and we have to be very careful because I criticize a lot of these small newcomers that think, well, I'm going to just talk about, you know, the cupping notes and the very specific kind of coffee nerdy stuff to the consumer. Mm -hmm. And they're going to just pay more because that it just makes sense. I criticize that because I say you cannot expect to build a business around changing every consumer's mind. You have to understand mm -hmm. that there's market segments and market realities that you need to go to. You don't go to, you go to the consumer is, you don't make sure the consumer goes somewhere else. And you can, you can make the consumer go to you, but that's a long play, right? And that's what I'm playing, right? I'm yeah. playing the long game of, so we have to be careful of the fact that we're kind of whining about the same thing that I complain about, which is, don't think that you're going to be this cool hipster coffee shop selling $30 pound coffee. And all of a sudden everyone's like, people just don't care that much, you know? And, yeah. and I don't think it's, it's a bad thing because we care about the kind of hierarchy of needs for our families. Right. You know, mm -hmm. we have a roof overhead, we have food. So I think we have to be very careful. And I think every industry has to be very careful that we are the custodians of decisions. We are the custodians of the reality. We need to communicate it. I think these conversations publicly are very important to have, but then we need to do what we need to do in order to do the right thing and survive. And that's all I've done. Right. And you know, yeah. I've done it over 25 years and trust me, I have your frustration. I had a podcast with my son and you know, it's called cultivating change. And it was all about how we mm -hmm. were trying to change the world. And I was like, it got depressing because I was like, people don't care, you know, and man, it's a kind of a crappy reality, but it's also like, you know what? We can't expect them to care, you know, because if they cared, they, everybody would go crazy. Uh, how's my iPhone made? You know, who grew this coffee? Where was this lettuce picked? You know? And yeah. Yeah. So I think at the end of the day, we need to hunker back down to the things you and I talk about off the record, which is business P and L yeah. strategy, cash flow, communication, um, because if not, I, I just, I think we're going to, it's, it's a losing game and, and I do it through value. I buy the best coffee I can. I work on a thin margin and I go up and I try to go against the big boys and, and take business from them through quality. And then, yeah, storytelling of what we do is very important, but even that, you know, and the, the, not everyone cares thing is not a bad thing either, because, you know, that means that people are going to be like, Hey, it's a nice coffee. I believe in what they're doing. I'm going to just, so it's tricky, man, because it, it, it literally, it, it's what you're saying now hits me because I, I have the same exact frustrations, but I can tell you after 25 years, nothing's changed. Um, man. Yeah. It's like one of those things where like, I feel the, I feel what you're saying first and foremost, because kind of what I'm taking away is nobody cares, but also nobody cares about our communities. Like we're going to, and you can be upset when, you know, people are basically virtue signaling and using these certifications as a way to take credit for work they're not actually willing to do. Meanwhile, we're doing the work without worrying about the certifications and people will be like, well, you know, if you really want to make an impact, you need this sticker on your bag. And it's like, 
that's that's frustrating, right? Um, and I think there's a million kind of virtue signals like that. Um, but in addition to that, I think the reality is, you know, we all we have is all we got, you know. And so, like, if we know the reality is people don't care about or people don't have the time, honestly, to care. Consumers don't. Like, we have to make sure that our business is good enough to do the work, whether people care um, yeah. about the kinds we, we of things we're to. doing. Yeah, and, and look, I think I, that's... I'm not saying people don't care as a blanket. Like, I just don't think they care to the level we care. Just like yeah, you, and I don't care to the level a brewer thinks about hops and beer. I don't, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I don't care at all. <laughs> so I think don't we have care. to put ourselves in their shoes, right? And and look, here's, yeah. here's, we just have to be cognizant of that. And look, this is the issue, and I think you and I are very similar. My issue is so much more fundamental in the fact that I have a problem, and I think I talked about it in the last podcast, like anything systemic can become exploitative very easily. Right, mm -hmm. systemic um, supply chains that are like you know based on the commodities market and very you know financing that's already established. It can basically be, it can take things to the lowest common denominator. So for me, anything that is kind of in the realm of a system, I'm very skeptical of, mm -hmm. and I feel like I don't need it. Right, because for me, I tell people all the time, my biggest frustration in this industry is that we could all change. The entire industry, we just, everyone in our industry, not consumers, but if we all really truly cared, we could change things. But you know what? It's too easy for the big boys to borrow from the same bank that's owned by the big traders and for the traders to, you know, make sure that the, the producer stays away from the roaster and that the mill sells the, I mean, it, the systems are so established. So I, by mm -hmm. default, I hate anything systemic or you know, trendy right now, like regenerative organic is the big thing. And it's like, yeah, we've been doing that. I, do I really need a sticker? Do I need to pay somebody else again to be able to use it? That's the issue, right? Because at the end of the day, it's all businesses and yeah, I just think it's, it's wasted. But then I have, you know, I gave you an example. I don't know if it was in the podcast that wasn't recorded or not, but during pandemic, there's a massive um, hurricane that swept through Guatemala and Honduras and Nicaragua. I think we donated 50 grand to each Honduras and Guatemala literally the same day. We wired it to our producer partners. They went out and got, you know, food and everything. And then there was people in, in the remote area of Nicaragua called Wiwili that lost their homes. And we basically bought them new land, built them new homes. And we put a thing out on our, our social. Nobody cared on social. And I was like, it's amazing because the things people care about in coffee. It's just, but you know what? I cared and I felt good about it and I feel proud of it. Yeah. And I got to say, I have to be reminded of it. My wife is very good about reminding me of it. Henry uh, from Perfect Daily Ground and, and, uh, and uh, you know, Producer Rosa Form, he'll remind me too because I'm very hard on myself uh, because I don't get the accolades from the industry. So I don't have a, a baseline to feel good about other than like, and it's yeah. never enough man, because there's so much work to be done. That's a tough thing. There's so much work to be done that I don't know if it'll ever feel like enough, what I can achieve. Yeah. I mean, I, going back to what we started out the episode with about survivor's guilt, like that is such a double-edged sword because it does push us to achieve and to innovate and to make sacrifices and to do the things that we, where we can feel like we're kind of giving back from almost a sense of like survival's privilege. Like I made it out. So now I feel like I have to help other people do it. 
but at the same time, it's this almost like a a never ending journey. Like this, that's a hunger that can almost be never satisfied. Like, how do you know you've given back enough? How many people is enough people to have helped get out to? And you know, there's there's almost like a you know a bottomless pit there. Um, and if you're not careful, you can fall into it. You know, and lose your sense of self, lose gratitude, lose the 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 opportunity to spend time with our family, and like to really to really even feel grateful for the people we have been able to help. Because the re- I think this is the 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 I'm a big preacher of self sufficiency, self determination, and I still you know I mentioned Malcolm X earlier. I still believe in all those things, but the other challenges, bro. At the end of the day, it's nobody. <laughs> you know. We're all we got, but at the same time, we deserve more than that. Like the communities that have extracted all this value from the from our motherlands, like there is a responsibility for those for them folks to pay reparations. You know what I mean? I just don't think they ever will. But the reality is, like, this isn't our weight. It's not supposed to be our weight to bear, but because nobody's picked it up, we put it on our shoulders and we do it anyway. You know, yeah. and that's it's kind of unfair, but it, it, we have to remember that when we are tempted to beat ourselves up because like, at least for me, whenever I'm in Africa, bro, no farmer I've ever talked to has looked at me, who did I have a real relationship with anyway? And like looked at me and been like, yeah, bro, you should do more. They're like, honestly, bro, we never expected you to send the 5% back in the first place. <laughs> like everybody comes over here and makes a promise and then never does it. So when we actually did it, they were like, we honestly, bro, this is crazy. Like people were super excited. And, um, you know, it, it, it took me a minute because I felt bad. I wish I could sit more. You know, I was like, I, I, and and they were like, we, honestly, the fact that you said this was was more than we expected. You know, so I, I, I think that it's, it's like you said, it's important to remember that because we definitely can forget the work we have done and the actual people is impacted and those people's opinions about the work we've done um, in moments of like, man, I wish I could do, you know, do more. Like we had 25 people apply for the Black Breeze Exchange Program, Black Breezes from all over the world. And, um, you know, we picked four and I, I couldn't, I couldn't even let myself vote. I had to put my wife and Lynn Butler, who's the only black person to ever win the U.S. Barista Champion, and Twiz, the only black person to win the World Latte Art Champion, and my mentor Propaganda. I had to put them on the board to make the decision because I knew if I was the one, I would just end up finding ways to get more money to bring everybody. Yeah, and like we can't afford, we can't afford that. Like that's not realistic. I probably would have sold our house or something stupid. So I was like, let me just put other people on the board, really, to be able to help. Uh, kind of be more clear-headed because there's just that responsibility and it it never ends like there's never enough people to help um so like you said it's important to kind of keep have people around you who are going to remind you especially when we're in industries that doesn't that that won't yeah. really remind you it won't come alongside you but guess what they will do they'll put a black square on their instagram when another black person is killed by the police and i'm like here's actual black people who are still alive who you can impact, you know what I mean? Like, it's, and and it's just, it's silence, you know, for the most part, and it's frustrating. No, it is, and I'll be honest with you, man. I'll be very honest with you. You know, you're talking about, like, you lose a part of yourself. I'm 50 years old. I will readily admit I've lost a good part of myself to this. Um, yeah. It affects you. It, like, kills a part of you in a way, which sounds pretty bad, but, like, for me, um, yeah. you know, 
there is a part of me that's just like maybe just disenchanted, um, frustrated, mm -hmm. jaded. Um, you know, I see that and I have to check myself because I just feel like, man, humanity could do so much more. Um, and I don't feel like anybody owes me or, or people in Latin America or anything or anybody anything other than an opportunity, other than honesty, other than just humanity, you know, like just real treatment of people. And I, I think when I see an industry that I don't even like to believe I'm in, talk so much and make so many claims and do absolutely nothing. Um, that part. And then I'm out there fighting and building and working and spending money. And trust me, I've, I've put myself in financial binds trying to do the right thing yeah. for other people. You um, know you have, bro. Like I, you didn't tell me about it and, and yeah. I, I've seen it. And especially when we're in an industry that uses the appearance of doing those kinds of things as justification for charging exorbitant prices. Meanwhile, right. you're actually running on some of the slimmest margins I've ever seen and doing more. But these people use the, the idea of them doing that to convince customers that they should pay more to help. But when it's time to actually help, everybody's like, oh, well, you know, that's not realistic. Yeah, it's tricky, man. It's very hard. I mean, I, I honestly, being in this industry and being, and I got to be honest, I mean, I, I'm involved in the grains business too, and I do pretty significant volume in, in some of the ancient grains and things. And it's worse. It's worse. Uh, wow. Luckily, in a it's way, worse? it's yeah, worse. No, it's more. It's more problematic in the middle of the supply chain, from my experience, in the fact of food fraud. Food fraud is is rampant. Food fraud is rampant, and I've seen some of the people that claim to be the ones that are leading the edge against fighting, they're even worse. But what I see is the saving grace of the grains business, unfortunately, is that it's basically big farmers, right? And here's what's interesting, right? And I've mm -hmm. learned a lot because I say it's worse, not in the inequities, it's worse in the, the fraudulent kind of misleading language and Marketing. misleading claims, yeah. But one thing I've seen that has been very interesting is I do a lot in grains like chia and quinoa, and then we do beans. And the farmers that can grow the scale that we buy are pretty big. So you have a chia producer in Paraguay. They're, they have thousands of hectares. So they're relatively wealthy people. And the conversation is very equal. And a lot of times they actually control everything from pricing. You're kind of at their mercy. So here is a producer now who has been able to create wealth for himself and their family, he comes to the table and really it's an imbalance of power more their way than our way, which in the coffee industry, it's a very strong imbalance of power from the buying side with the producer side. And yeah. I've learned at least that man, when you have an empowered producer who's been able to become wealthy, it changes. The truth is though, both in Africa and Latin America, the poor farmer has couple acres of land they're not out there growing an empire um yeah it's, sus honest, like it's sustenance farmer farming yeah, excuse me they're just getting by i mean and uh, I, yeah. I gotta say like you know when i say like I, I think i've lost a big part of myself i came home from prf and i was sick but i i was depressed and i told my wife i said i don't know if i want to go back because as much as i enjoy it all day every day i have a crowd of farmers coming mm -hmm. to me asking me to buy from them yeah. I was like, do you know how much it hurts me to say no every time to all these producers that I wish I could do something for? And they see a roaster and, you know, my orga, oh, they talk about game and 
then all of a sudden I'm like, is my reputation going to be, uh, you know, they're going to be jaded by who my org is because I just stand up because I can't, I can only do so much. We're a pretty small player in the coffee industry, even though we're kind of a big company. And yeah, that's kind of crazy that you consider yourself small because you guys are gigantic to me. Uh, yeah, nothing's like a revenue industry. perspective. Yeah, we're nothing in the industry. I mean, we're insignificant, irrelevant. Um, but yeah, it's tough, man. It's not an easy go. And then at the same time, you know, and it's funny because I, I think uh, very few people realize like I'm actually a very, very sensitive like person that really feels like other people's like pain and like struggles. Mm. And it, it hits me. But now, I remember. You know, when we were at the Boston screening, by dude, I couldn't talk. I, bro, you got so emotional. If you were listening, we screened our documentary for the first time in Boston at the African Meeting House. It's the oldest black church in America. Um, and uh, yeah, man, like I never seen you. You're a pretty stoic guy, so like seeing you that emotional and knowing all the work y'all had put in on the back end to help to help sponsor the doc and get it off the ground and help us get to Africa the first time, like it was like. Man, that was it was an emotional moment, it was for, especially for my wife. Like she was like, I've never seen Martine that emotional before. Dude, I gotta say, I mean, first of all, uh, you know, I've been at this game since the mid '90s, and mm. finding another Latino was unheard of, and a, a black person in coffee, completely mm. unheard of. So to be at a point where we fast forward, you know, a few years ago, and we're sitting at this church with a lot of you know deep history in Boston. You guys are screening a video, a, a documentary that you put a lot of time, effort, and you know, passion into. We're doing an offsite from the SCA show, kind of in this like almost revolutionary way of like doing it, you know, yeah. somewhere on our own. And I'm looking around, and it's just minorities, and it's young black kids and Hispanic kids, and there's like excitement and pride. And I was like, holy shit, I never saw, thought I'd see this. I really never. Yeah. I, I mean, so when I got the mic, and I, was, I like, I got emotional. I'm like, man, I never thought. I would get to the moment where I saw this happen in our industry, which mm -hmm. kind of sucks. It's a pretty low bar, right? It's a pretty low bar to yeah. think you'll never see minorities get a shot in, a, in an industry that, frankly, is on the backs of minorities, right? It's on the backs yeah. of people in Africa, Asia, Latin America. Um, so, yeah, man, I, you know, it's... The, the trouble is I still have to run a business, so I, I can't be this. Yeah. Anyway. So you have to be this like business person. And frankly, I'm pretty good at that because I'm good at finance and everything, but I feel like that's me playing a role in the real me is this like crazy, like emotional wants to like do everything for everybody. And yeah. I just, I think I'm, I, that's like tapped me out. You know, it's, it's gotten me to the point. It's like, I'm going to keep doing what I can, but I, I told my wife, I'm like, it makes me sad for my kids that this is the yeah. world. You know, it's it's a little bit disheartening. No, I, I get it, man. I was in a similar place yesterday, not because of this, but it's like the the you know, I feel like we're almost in parallel seasons. Like you guys have achieved so much, I feel like we're just the beginning of achieving things. And even still, at before we are, it feels like a lot. And I'm starting to see people who I thought were partners, who I thought were friends, who I thought were collaborators. People who I thought I was who who were I, who I was like building with that could do business with could do life with people been in my house and you know you just find out they're complete they're behind the scenes a whole totally different person you know it's like I don't even want to get specific bro because it's, it's sad because I should be able to just be like this happened and this person did this but in my heart I'm still just like ah man maybe 
maybe in five years we'll reconcile and like, I don't want to burn the bridge and like, you know, air it out. But it, it, it just, it made me sad because I feel like all I do in so many ways is like have such a big heart and it sucks when people like don't consider you at all in, in their pursuit of whatever they need or feel like they, they have to get in a time and screw me over, screw my family over, screw the people we're working with over. And um, it seems so easy for folks to for do that. It's almost like, you know, heartbreaking. Like, wow, that was not only did you do it, but it seems like it was it took no effort at all for you to yeah. totally disregard everything we said we were going to build together. Um, and it makes yeah, you want to days about this, <laughs> bro. It, it makes you want to not. Just, it just makes you want to close everything up. And I'm like, you know, I know we have different religious perspectives, but for me, my faith is just like I know it's not the kind of person God wants me to be. And I know that's that's not the person I have to be in order to do the work I have to do. Like I, I have to keep my heart open, but it's hard. And there are times when you got to close it, you know. And it's like navigating that. I think I have a fear at this point that if I, if I become too too cold, that I'll end up becoming the kind of business person that I started my business to fight against. You know, like and I don't know if that's like on your end of it, like. Obviously, you guys are still doing amazing work. And honestly, that's kind of encouraging for me to think about right now, because, you know, is it possible to be big and and and, and fiscally savvy and all the things you have to be to operate on the scale you guys operate at and still have a heart, you know? It is, but it's also isolating and lonely because not everybody does have that heart. And I can tell you that I've lost what I thought were lifelong friendships. I've, uh, you know, seen people that I've helped and gone above and beyond, not only turn their back on me, but turn on me. Um, I think, you know, you learn a lot and I, you should learn a lot in these journeys of building a business. And, you know, I think three key things I would kind of mention here is number one, self-interest is very powerful. And when, you mm -hmm. know, people's self-interest is based on either short-term or material, that's all they care about, right? Um, but secondly, I think it's important to recognize that when you run a business with purpose, it's already, you're already in this duality, right? You know, I have friends who are very wealthy and who just pursue money and they're like, are you an NGO or are you a business person? You know, like, what are you doing? Like, you should be making this much more money. You should be raising money and buying mills. You should be doing this. And, and so mm -hmm. you get stuck in this, in this kind of uh, no man's land. And then thirdly, the truth is running a business is hard. And I, I would disagree that you have to be cold. I think you have to be you know, look, I have a great team of people who really believe in what we're doing. Um, and I think it's a matter of communicating. Look, my role is to give you a future and to keep you here for the next 50 years and to make sure that we're all strong in, in what we're doing. And we're pursuing this purpose that we have on our wall, on our bags, everywhere. Um, and it's not an easy world. You know, I think one of the things that I feel a little bit, I wouldn't say resentful for, but I think I wish my team would see more. It's like, I'm in the real world, right? I'm the tip of the spear of the business. I'm out fighting potential lawsuits. I'm out dealing with competitors. I'm out dealing with, you know, price changes, interest rates. I mean, the things that really like, you know, I'm kind of, and I think half my job is really protecting the business. Um, yeah. But dude, it's, it's, I, I gotta be honest with you. Being an entrepreneur is not, easy being an entrepreneur in a business where you want to care and have a purpose it's 
I mean, I'm 50 years old. I don't really have many friends left. <laughs> I've been through marriage already. Uh, you know, I, I regret sometimes the amount of work and travel I've done with, you know, the kids that I have and, and it's tough. It's, you know, I, I, I'd love to be able to say it was easy, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, I think some of us are just put on this earth for something a little bit bigger than us, you know, and I think we got to just take that responsibility and go with it. It kind of sucks. Yeah. It, it really but, is, man. It's like, um, it's, it's like a, like a calling, you know, mm -hmm. like, uh, you think about people who spend their whole life or something and you like, man, you, you don't even know if you're going to have that impact. But I will say, I think that's a big reason why people like us fight so hard to be connected to the communities we come from, because that connection in a lot of ways is deeper than any like individual friendship. And it's the thing that keeps us going, even though it's the thing at the same time that can burn you out. Like that feeling of being like, feeling like I'm connected to the places that these, you know, neo-colonial forces have evicted all of us from. And like to feel that connection back to it through something like coffee or chia or, you know, music, any of the thing, the industries and things our people have created, like, that feeling of being connected back to it is everything, bro. And um, like, it, it makes it in a lot of ways, makes it all worth it. And, and it's the thing I fight for my kids to have. Like, I want them to feel like they can be connected to their motherland without having to go through everything I had to go through to get connected back. And I want to make sure that when I do, when I am connected back and when they're connected back, we're doing it in a way that is true to the, to the, to the communities we come from and our values and not just replicating copy and paste colonial models with like a palette swap, you know, diverse face on top of it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you hit the nail on the head and, and what keeps me sane, which is, you know, I want my kids to look at me as somebody who's built something through hard work and I don't want to show off the flashy new car. I want to show them the impact we've made. I want to show them the connections we made. My son, who's 17 now, and I, I, he was homeschooled till he just started school for his first time ever in Costa Rica here. He's traveled to 27 countries. He's been to when producers in Belize Sheesh. were calling me to help him with cacao. He flew to Belize with me. He's been to Honduras, Nicaragua, Guatemala, Costa Rica, I mean, everywhere. And so wow. for me. You guys just got we, back from Africa too, yeah? Yeah, we're in Kenya. Um, That's so, dope. I mean, look, at the end of the day, I think for me, what's kept me sane is, is who am I doing this for? Frankly, I'm doing it for me. I, I would be dishonest if I told you there isn't something in me that needs to do this. And I, I inherited it because my dad was the same type of person. But I'm also doing it because I want my kids to see something. And, you know, when I get when I make the comment about being worried about the future for my kids, all I can do is either prepare them for it or help them to learn how to make a positive impact into it. And I want them to see me as a person who, you know, you talk about survivor's guilt, but there's also appreciation of gifts we've been given. I was given a great mind for numbers, for problem solving. And I'm not going to use that. And I think, you know, the story, I mean, I got an offer to go to Wall Street out of Georgetown to go make tons of money. And that, that was a reward to the mind I was given to the skills I was given. But that was yeah. a reward that meant anything to me going to Wall Street, making a lot of money was meaningless to me. And yeah. so for me, I think it helps me to look at it in the context of well, my kids are watching this and they're going to see a role model that is making an impact, even in a, a small way. And somebody who's using their skills and the gifts and the blessings that are given for something beyond them. So 
that keeps me sane, but uh, it's lonely and it's frustrating. And, you know, like you said, I mean, I really, I don't have many friends anymore. And the few that I do are people like you or people like Henry, who I, through coffee, have connected to. And I see they care more. I mean, Henry's a kid from Britain who has no reason to really give a shit about producers, but yeah, yeah that kid cares. You know, he's in Guatemala right you now. Know. You know, you would never expect it. And, you know, people like that are rare. And I think people like that to me are meaningful enough to cultivate relationships with. And frankly, I wish people cared. I wish, I wish consumers saw that part of you, that part of Henry, that part of me and saw what we're doing and supported it, but they don't, and we don't just give up and quit. We just figure it out. Yeah. And I think we tell our stories, bro. Like that's why we're doing this podcast is because giving consumers the, the, and it's not going to hit everybody, but like the people who got a chance to come to see our documentary, you know, today had a chance to really get back. And then I'm talking to everybody's emotional, everybody's tearing up. They get it now. And, but if I didn't take the chance and the time to really tell our story and um, give people a chance to see it, of course, the folks, not everybody's going to care, but the people who do who, or who would care if they had a chance once given the chance really do. And that that's also one of those things, you know, even this podcast, like there are people who are going to listen to this and they're going to say, I didn't know you could do business that way. Like I thought I either had to have a nonprofit or I just had to be a cutthroat, ruthless businessman. And like, you know, the hearing that there's other ways to do this, there are other stories that could be told besides the ones that kind of get spoon fed to us. Depressed and lonely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, right. Like, how are we lonely though? Like, look, look where we're at. We're on this podcast together. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're at a house. I do think there's an element of loneliness for me in the business side. Right. You know, like for sure, for sure, for sure. I live in Costa Rica and I wanted to be closer to the kind of the producing side. And, but I tell my wife, I'm like, I can only be here because I don't have a community that I was sad to leave, you know, on the business side. Yeah. You know, my team and the people of Maryland, but I'm a pain in the ass to them. They're not, you know, I'm not their friend. I'm their, you know, the person leading the charge. And, you know, there's a division there just innately. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess the loneliness comes from like, I wish there was more people like us in the industry that are genuinely trying to make an impact. And, um, but you know, I think it's changing. Look, here we are because like, like yeah. I said before, sitting in that church in Boston, I couldn't talk uh, out of my being emotional because I never thought I'd see that. So maybe yeah. in two years, there'll be a hundred of us. Right. And that's my goal because I need yeah. to retire at some point. I can't, I'm 50. I got I got 20, 30 years left of me, but still. For sure. Hey, man, you don't look it, bro. You know what I mean? You don't look 50, so you're doing something right. I don't know how because I live with extreme stress and I don't sleep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who knows? Yeah, who knows? bro. You don't know, man. But I think that, you know, maybe, like you said, in 10 years, this is a conference. Maybe in 10 years, this is an opportunity because I think there are more people like, I think there's more people than we expect like us from communities all around the world who kind of make these kind of choices, but this is the path to making the world we want. And if we're waiting for there to be a sticker that you can put on a bag so that everybody kind of thinks they have to do it, I don't think we're ever going to get there, but the risk taking that we're taking and a a ton of other people, you know, who are doing the same thing, but maybe we haven't met them yet or like, I think those kinds of people exist and are out there in the world. And I mean, let's be honest, bro. Like you said, your dad was one of those people. My mom yeah. and dad were one of those people. My grandparents were like, we come from a long line of those kinds of people 
Um, it's just that, you know, we haven't really ever been able to be in the same rooms with them. And maybe that's the next step at some point. You know, if you're listening, let us know in the comments. But maybe that's if that's the next step is like getting all these revolutionary, lonely people in a room together so that we can let's be lonely can, together. <laughs> let's commiserate, <laughs> uh, but also collaborate on, on creating the world we want to see together, man. So I think that's a good point to end it off on. Any yeah, uh, any last words? That sounds morbid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know last, know? Yeah, last um, comments. You know what I mean? No, I think this is important. Look, man, I think for me and you, and we talked about this a little bit, A, I think it's good for people to hear this. Yeah. Um, because they see us as uh, business owners. They see our companies as just companies. And frankly, for me, it's also therapeutic personally, where it's like, it's good to have these conversations. And, and just, yeah, man. look, we're all just humans. We're all doing our thing. Everybody has fears. Everybody has frustrations and securities, whatever it mm -hmm. is. And mm -hmm. I think it's important for people to see that in this whole narrative of, you know, the hustle and grind and the bullshit that you see out there. I think it's important to see also reality of uh, mm -hmm. a different type of way of doing a business, right? You know, I think we've, we've been honest about that. So. I like this. I think it's good. I think having these conversations, is, it's not just good for us, but I think it's good for, I hope it's good for other people. And I hope it's good for young people that are kind of making decisions in life. And, you know, hopefully we wouldn't scare off anybody, but, you know, I think uh, it's, <laughs> it's as hard as it is, it's worthwhile. It's worthwhile when a producer gives you a hug and thanks you when you see oh, a kid say something like, you know, that they you know, couldn't believe you did this. Janae made a comment to me, my CFO, about when I started Chia and I was, promising all these things to farmers. She thought I was crazy. And now, you know, years later, we're doing over 10 million pounds of chia and helping thousands of farmers. Yes. You know, she's like, I, she's like, I would follow you into any fire, into anything, because I know that what you say you'll do, you'll do it. So there's moments, yeah. there's rewards. Um, for sure, bro. But for sure. I, I think for me, it was, we were watching the doc again, and this part really stood out to me as his brother who actually helped me because, you know, I'm, I'm down maybe like 60 pounds from my heaviest, which was my first time going to Africa. And I remember I like diabetes was going crazy, trying to go up these big mountains and like ended up my blood sugar was super low. And there was this really kind brother who like, you know, looks like one of my uncles came up to me and um, really just helped me out, like helped carry me literally to come and grab a seat and got me some water and like, I remember in the film, there's a part where, you know, we really start getting into the thick of the, the emotional part of the film. And he's like, uh, he says like, get a be with a quota, uh, which means essentially uh, come back to your country. Like he was like, come back home. Like you need to be here. And there's more people who need, you need to tell the rest of your people to come back home. And like, I, that, I, I sometimes I take that for granted in the film because there's a lot of emotional moments. But that just hit me that this brother really told me like that this was my country. And obviously I'm you know, Mississippi to West Africans, I was in East Africa, like not literally my country, but in the sense that like this is my land, this is my motherland being in Africa, um, and Ethiopia being the birthplace of most humans, like the other Africans that exist spread out from that place as well. And like just this feeling of like gratitude that I got to hear that in real life. Like I got yeah. to really hear that from that brother in first person and then i got to share that with a bunch of other black americans who've been told a lie about like how africa feels about them and like just to get to be a part of that like honestly is a dream come true and it's like i think we've, we've lived a lot of dream come trues people like us at this point in our life but like 
it's easy to take those for granted because there was a moment when I was just teaching English to middle schoolers and I was upset because like I felt like nobody cared about the kids I was working with. And now I get to live a life of like showing these kids how much we care and how much they're cared about. And that's something to be grateful for, you know? Exactly. Gotta have gratitude. Yeah, man. Yeah. All right, man. Dope. Episode two is a wrap. That's it. Yeah, y'all make sure you share this. Uh, Follow the pod. uh, Unfiltered Grounds. Let us know what you think about the the name. I think we got it. Um, I like it. And um, let us know what you want us to keep talking about, man. There's so much that we talk about behind the scenes. Um, from business to coffee to family to impact to you know heritage, it's a lot. So yeah, keep 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 the comments coming. We really appreciate y'all. We're gonna talk to y'all soon. Peace. Take care. Yeah. Oops. Man, I just hung up on you by accident. I didn't mean to. Or disconnected you. I thought I was just ending the recording. Uh, give me a call if you want.